0: Hello, 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 you're welcome to the Startup Lagos podcast, a podcast dedicated to highlighting the bubbling scene of the growing startup community of the city of Lagos. And I'm your host, Olumide Olainka. and if you'd like to subscribe to the show, join us on SoundCloud, iTunes, RSS, at StartupLagos.io. people have thought about valuations here and have done evaluation for their startup or have looked into raising money for their startup? No one? Okay. And how did that go? Sorry? or oh, using software to do it. Did you think the value you got from the software was the actual value of your business or what did you feel about it? <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. I mean, um, the thing about valuation, one thing we need to know is that valuation is very, very subjective and um, I will go through what valuation is. Now, I don't know how familiar everyone is, but there's this thing, there's this, there, there are buzzwords that they always say, that valuation is an art, not science. So that's a painting, that's art, that's science on the other side. And when I was told about this presentation, I was going to do this presentation, I thought about this clearly, and I thought deep about this, that what does that actually mean? Now, Valuation is about perspectives. And if you go to the next slide, you will see what I mean. Um, now, you can see about four or five kids trying to paint those still life drawings. And you can see that everybody has a different view of what draw, of the fruits on the table represent. And that's what valuation is when we look at it. Because even though you're looking at the same thing, because of the way you look at things and where you're coming from, you all have a different view and perspective of it. And that is what we need to learn about valuation. Another thing I'll say quickly before I go to the other slides is the next one. Is you no know, back. Next one. the fact that at the bottom, someone, um, a lady called Sarah uh, um, Friar, sorry, said that valuation is the founder's hopes and dreams times how fast the startup is growing minus the downside protection for the investor and the investor's fear of missing out. So there are certain elements to valuation. There is what the founder wants, which the, which is what we said there are two perspectives. There's the founder's perspective, and there is who intends to invest his own perspective. So once you are on the table with an investor, you would find that maybe yours is the one at the extreme end. I don't know if that's more if that's nicer looking, while your founder's own is what the one in the middle, right? Yes. Um, so some truths about valuation. I mean, valuation is what the market is willing to pay for it. Now, you can, I was just talking to, I, I'm not sure what your name is, and you said that, you know, you were not sure, you couldn't verify. But if you were actually sitting in front of an investor and you were doing, try, he was trying to invest in you. I mean, at the end of the day, it's what he's willing to put into your business that would consider your valuation at the end of the day. Do you agree? Um, Fundraising, which is one of the key things valuation is used for, is what I call a confrontational process. There are two sides, which is why I gave you that thing in the first page. There is the founder side and there's the investor side, and they're at odds at times because obviously the investor wants to put in money lower and get more returns at the end of the day because if he puts in money lower he gets better returns while you want him to put money very high so that you need you don't you're not giving away too much for too little. Right? Um one of the things that very key that is very key is your team and about three or four of the valuation methodologies we talk about stress the team. They try and put a value on the team you have. Another key element of valuation is the risk. So, an investor wants protection or he wants to get rewarded for the risk he's taking. Depending on the stage you are in, there are stages that are more risky than others. And if he's coming at a very early stage, he would require a higher return naturally just to compensate for that risk. So the risk is very, very important. And this is where people normally differ in terms of the startup versus the investor. Um, Another thing, you should ask for what you need. You shouldn't ask for more than you need because the higher you ask for, the more dilution. So you have to be very, very careful about what you need. So know exactly what you need and ask for what you need. Be realistic, be flexible. Um, Obviously, like I always say, like I've said before, the entrepreneur and the investor are going to be at odds. It's a negotiation to see if we can come to an agreement. So you have to be flexible as well, because you need the money as well. Um, It's not a one off activity, fundraising, hence your valuation. So there'll be multiple rounds. You have to think of how this round can potentially affect the next round going forward, all of that. And another key thing, I don't think we have time to talk about investment terms is you should pay attention to the investment terms. So after evaluation, you get your investor, he gives you a term sheet, you need to think about what he's saying in that term sheet, because that drives everything that happens going forward. Um, Now, what investors are looking for? Investors, what they want to see, they want to see that you know, the market is big enough for them to put money now and get a multiple of the money they put in today at a certain date. So the market size is important to them. So if there is no market size, then that's, that's, that's troublesome. They want to know how big your company is and you know, how you can make revenues and ultimately cash flows off of that market size, right? What's your plan to monetize, to generate revenues from that market? Very important to them, they want to know what your team is. Do you guys have experience? You know, have you done it before? Are you working full time? Those are things that investors are very interested in. Um, is there any IP? Is there any extra competitive edge? That's another thing that could help you out when you're talking to your investors. What product and service do you offer? Is it revolutionary? Does it disrupt the market? Things like that. They want to see traction, so they want to see that look. People are actually going to use this. People have already started using this, your product or your service. That's important to them. Another thing that's important to them is obviously what has been invested before, right? Because what has been invested before, like I said, sort of makes room for what comes after. So what has been invested before is very important. What stage you are, which is very similar to the size of your company. What is the competition out there doing? and? what are your additional funding requirements to get them to where they want to make their return. So these are the things that, they, that st- um, the investors are looking for. In terms of factors that impact your valuation, it's sort of similar to what the investor is looking for would affect your valuation. Because if you can tick off all those things and he's happy with it, then obviously the more you do that, the more your valuation rises. Um, dangers of the wrong valuation, right? So if you value yourself too high, um, there's the first risk is that you know, no investor is going to talk to you because they just think you're unreasonable and don't get the money you need. When you, do, even if you do get an investor, then what happens is further rounds of funding, you might have what they call a down round. That's when the next investor comes in lower than the, the previous investors which is not what you want as well, right? Because that leads to more dilution for you. Um, You can have delays in closing the transaction because of drawn out negotiations, and you get unfavorable terms in the term sheet as well. If it's too low, then you give out too much equity, too much dilution, and obviously you are probably not happy with the valuation you got, and that affects the effort you put into the business. Okay, now, I'm going to quickly talk about pre-money versus post-money, and this is mainly around dilution. This helps, you know, calculate what the dilution of your business will be pre and post an investment, And there are two ways of doing it. Basically, pre-money is the post-money, so the... An, Pre-money is the value before the investment comes in. Post-money is the value after the investment comes in. Very straightforward. It's, it's, well, the the name, the the definition is in the name. Now with pre-money, there are two ways of getting the relationship. There are two ways of calculating what that comes out to. So the first way is what they call the shares outstanding method. And what happens here is that you take, the number, to get your pre-money valuation, you take the number of shares you had originally, you multiply it by the price of the new share, which you're going to do the valuation at, right, to get the pre-money valuation, then add that to, then add the investment amount to your pre-money valuation to get your post-money valuation. And the other one is the percentage of ownership, and here we say that the starting point is we have, someone wants to put in $5 million, for example, for 10% of our company. So on a post-money basis, our company is worth $5 million, which is the investment, over 10%, which is the amount he wants in the business. So the company is worth $50 million. Now the pre-money will just take out the $5 million investment he's putting in, from the 50 which is the post-money, to get a pre-money of 45. Now what happens is that it's important for dilution because from here we can see that post money, the startup or the company has 90%. He had 100% initially, but post money coming in, he's been diluted to 90% while the, um, the investor now owns 10%. So this is very important to calculate what you own post and after the investment. Okay, so now we would go into... (laughs) 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 Thank you, Um, We would go into some of the methods. Now, there are loads of methods for valuing your business. Some of them may make sense to you. Some of them may not make sense to you. Um, Most of them... And at the end of the day, valuation is very theoretical. It's a starting point, which is one thing I need to say as well. When you, are, you want to do evaluation to get investments, it is the starting point. So this is where I think I should be, and this is where someone else thinks I should be. How do we come together and come to an agreement? So one of the ways is the Dave Burkus method. It was, it was um, devised by a guy called Dave Burkus, And what it does is, Remember I said that risk is very important in valuation. It takes about five different risks and sort of gives you a valuation based on how well you are doing on that risk. So, for example, if you have a sound business idea, there's product risk, you're taking care of product risk. It's saying that your value for just having a sound business idea is up to $500,000. So. If we go to the following slide, I need to come back. If you, put, you, you have ratings for each of those, for each of those um, categories, if you're value rating, so you think that the idea is revolutionary and it's groundbreaking, and you know, nothing else compares to it, you can give it a rating of 100%. And what happens is that you're saying that you're giving it the maximum value of $500,000 for having that idea. Now, the problems we'll come to see is I obviously would think that my idea is groundbreaking and revolutionary while the other guy thinks that it's not groundbreaking and revolutionary. So while I think I should get a hundred for it, he may think it's a 50. It's now trying to show him that there's enough market, I have tested the market and I can see that it should be higher. It also goes and says that, can we go to the other slide? Yeah. It talks about your prototype. So if you have a prototype, it's saying that you are already tackling your technology risk and that you should have up to $500,000 for having that prototype. So based on how your prototype works, you have another value rating, as you can see in the previous slide. The next one it talks about is your management team. That's execution risk. If you have a solid management team that has done this kind of work before that has worked on a startup, has experience with the technology, you should get up to $500,000 for that. Same thing with strategic relationships, same thing with product rollout and sales. Now, the problem with this method is that it says that you can only be worth between two and $2.5 million, you cannot be worth more because there is a maximum limit at each end, which obviously I'm not sure how that would sit well with most people, but that is the drawback with this. It's very subjective as well, like other valuation methods. So for example, we said that, you know, very great idea, 100%. Prototype works 90% of the time, so we give it 90%. Management, there's one person that's very good, the other people, well it's just one person in the team, we'll give it 50%. He doesn't have any strategic relationships, so zero. No product rollout yet, zero. So his value would be 1.2 million based on the Berkus method. Now the scorecard method is another take on the Berkus method. And it says that, you know, there are seven categories. You have your team, your opportunity, technology as well, your competition, your sales, any more investments, and other, other criteria. And it applies weightings, it applies a factor value to the weightings. Now let me explain what that means. So the first point here is you start with the median or mean um, startup valuation for your region. So in Nigeria, if 100 startups have done transactions and you can find a value of, let's say, 7.5 million for your 100 startups, a mean value of 7.5 million, that is your starting point. Now, you have your team. It applies a factor value to the weighting of your team. And what that is trying to say is that your, your team is worth 30% of 100% of your value. Now it's asking you that do you have 100% above 100% or below 100% of your team. And what that means is if you have a very, very good team, a standard team, it will be 100% because it's the norm. If you have a weak team, it will be lower than 100%. If you have a very good team, it should be above 100%. So that's why you can see the first one has 125. You multiply the weightings by the factor value to get a multiple. Same thing for the opportunity, same thing for technology. At the end, we have a sum total of all the multiples we get by multiplying the weightings by the factor value, and we multiply that by the median pre-revenue startup average for our region to get our value. Okay? So based on this seven criteria, we can get a value for our business. B. The third one is the risk factor summation method. It's also similar to the previous two. It's just taking more risk into account and saying that, look, if you have this risk, you can either have the risk as five ranges for the risk. So you can have it as very low, low you can have it as normal you can have it as high or very high and it's saying that for each risk depending on what rating you give it you add a certain valuation certain number to your value so if you have if your risk is very low you should add five hundred thousand dollars to whatever initial startup valuation you have if it's low you should add 250 if it's normal you should not add anything if it's high, you should take out 250. And if it's very high, you should take out 500,000. So the 12 risk categories are there. You have your management risk, your, start, your stage of the business, manufacturing risk, all of that until you get to your valuation at the end, subtracting or adding from the mean average startup in your region. Um, so now, we're coming to the more common ones that are normally used. So the next one we we'll talk about is comparables. Now, for comparables, what you're trying to do here is you're trying to value your startup based on transactions that other startups have done. So you're saying that if you can get the value that another startup in your industry has done, then your company should be worth similar to that based on your own matrices. So what that is saying is, for instance, you have a company A that did a transaction, let's say last year, and it's enterprise value to sales. So it's taking the equity value that was paid for it, divided by the sales, is 0.5%. You're saying that for your own company, your own valuation should be the same. So your valuation should be 0.5% of your sales. So that's what you're trying to do here. You're trying to take another person's valuation and apply it to yourself. The problem here is in Nigeria for startups, this information is not readily available. So it's more difficult for us to do it here than it is to do elsewhere. Um, people say you can use you know, companies that are listed on the stock exchange. Now, the problem I think with that is they're more mature than you. So any company that is listed on stock exchange has been operating for at least five, six years. You're still pre-revenue, nothing. So it's not comparing like for like. So the best way to do it is to use a startup that does the same thing as you do, or something very, very similar to you, and it's almost even the same size as you. So that's the best way to do comparable. So you're taking a metric from the company that has done a transaction recently, and you're applying it to your own. Either it's your sales, it's your net income, or your earnings, or it's your EBITDA, depending on what they have. So that way, you would get a valuation for yourself based on that. Um, Now, we go to the more common one. So the more common one we use, and in my experience, I've used this more often than not, is the discounted cash flow. Now, what the discounted cash flow is trying to do here is trying to say that the value of your company is the value of all the future cash benefits you are going to get in future. So we're saying that anything I'm going to get in future, if I have that value today, that's the value of my company. So I should pay all the future benefits I'm going to get in future for it. Now, um, what it does is it takes your cash flow at the end of every year, right? And discounts it by uh, required rate of return. And the required rate of return is a function of risk. So what happens is that you are taking the risk that you feel, um, sorry, what happens is the investor says that this is the compensation I want for this risk, right? So basically, he's taking all those cash flows and he's saying that I'm going to discount all those cash flows by the risk I'm going to take in the business. And what you find is that the higher that required return is, the lower your valuation is. So if you can prove to your investor that, look, I'm not as risky as you think, then that discount rate would go down and then your value should go up. So it's a case of showing and the investor that, you know, I'm not as risky as you think, so that my value goes up because the discount rate is going down. Okay. Next one. Um, then the next one is called the first um, Chicago method, and it's very, very similar to your DCF. It's also, it's basically your DCF. It's just saying that, you have three different scenarios for your DCF. So you have a best case scenario, you have a base case scenario, and you have a worst case scenario. And for your best case scenario, would give you a higher valuation, obviously. So they're saying that if everything goes well for the business, so you know, on day one, you know, a million people sign up, on day two, another million people sign up and they start paying, that is your best case scenario. Your base case is, okay, this is what I think may happen. And your worst case is, okay, if this thing doesn't take off, this is my value. So what happens is that for each of those scenarios, you do your discounted cash flow method, and then you multiply it by what you think the probability of that case happening is to get your valuation. So if, in the example we have here on the screen, we can see that the best case he thinks is 25 million, The base case is, I think, about 10, and the worst case is about two. But he feels that the best case would happen 20% of the time, the base case 60, and the worst case another 20. So the value of the company is just the weighted average of each case's value by the probability to get the value of the business, which comes to about 11.4. So it's very similar to your DCF, it's just that you're putting more options and you're trying to be more realistic if anything happens other than the base case. Um, The next one is your asset-based approach. Now the problem with this one, especially for startups, is a lot of startups do not have many assets. A lot of it is, you know, your intellectual property, so it's building the app, it's all of that. So the problem with this is, so what this does, actually let me start with that, is it takes your assets versus your liabilities, and it says that if I needed to recreate this business today, how much would it cost for me to recreate that business? So if I had to buy every asset, so if you had a building that let's say you bought two years ago, if I'm going to buy that same building today, how much would it be? If you have cars, if I'm going to buy those same cars today, how much will that be? And it subtracts it from any liabilities you have, so any debts you have and then it gives you a value of your business. So it's just the replacement cost for your business. Now the major issues here is your company, your company's um, a lot of the assets you have. So your team is not on your balance sheet, right? How do you recreate your team? Well, your team is very valuable, right? How do you recreate your reputation? You might have got your reputation, your brand. How do you recreate that? It's not your balance sheet. So it's very, very difficult to use this one. It's a very, very worst case scenario. I not know what else to do sort of situation. This is the minimum, minimum you should be valued at. Excellent. And finally, I think the last one I'm going to talk about is the venture capital method. And this one, yes, 10 minutes left. And um, this tries to work from the end and gets to the beginning. So what you try and do here is you try and estimate what your, what your desired investment amount at the end of your investment period is, right? And bring that back to today. So what it does is it gets the post money value based on the anticipated selling price that you want over the anticipated return that you require. Right, And once you get that post-money value, in terms of today, you use that from our post-money, pre-money formula to get the amount of investments required to give you that, um, that investment. So, I mean, there are so many other ways. Everybody comes up with a new way every single day, but these are the eight most common ones that we use. Generally, my experience is typically the DCF, your discounted cash flow method, that is not popular, um, mainly because the data for your comparables are not readily available, right? So most of the times, you would use a DCF and your investor typically would apply a very, very high discount rate on that, which would bring down your valuation. Things to remember is that valuation you're guessing, right, it's not, so it's really not set in stone, you have your own idea, I have my own idea, everybody has their own idea, right, but you should just remember that it is a starting point, it is not the end game, so what you feel, what I feel, we come together and we still have to negotiate. Um, like I said as well, fundraising is confrontational, it's about negotiation, so, what you have as your value, what, what you perceive my value to be, is just a starting point, we need to come to the middle. And finally, it's always best to use more than one valuation method, like you had said, just to compare and make sure everything makes sense. I will hand over to Bissadie now who would speak about the valuation right
1: now. Okay, everyone. That was, uh, that was uh, very... Advanced. <laughs> okay, um, so I'm just going to run through my slides very quickly. Don't worry, I'm not like Toby. Um, so let me start by just quickly going over a little bit about what Toby said. What do investors really want today? One, traction, yes, we want a credible team. We want compensation for risk, right, and that's really what um, that's really what valuation is all about, right? Investors trying to get compensated for the risk that they're taking in your business. So at which point I want to pay less for more of your business because, and I expect that that more that I'm asking for is a more in terms of your return that you're giving me on my investment, right? Um, these days you start, we've started hearing you know, there are other words that are coming up that, yes, we're starting to use every day, we're starting to see everywhere on the internet, disruption, sustainability, and innovation, right? And those are three main words that are coming up, especially in this era where everything is happening so quickly. So I'll quickly go over those, right? When we talk about disruption, what are we talking about? taking already an already established industry right and breaking it literally with a new business model right that is more efficient and is saving the the end user time or money right i'll give you an example my glasses uh before i back in the day i spent maybe an average of 300 dollars just to get a pair of glasses glasses are very expensive some people that wear glasses in the crowd, I think, can agree with me on that. But what this company did is that they started making their own glasses, right, and selling them online. So I could actually, on my computer, try on on a pair of glasses, right? And I got everything for $95, right? Very cheap, very efficient. And the other thing that they would do was send me a box of some of the glasses that I showed interesting on the website Right, and they would send me a box of those glasses, not pre- uh, prescribed yet, but just for me to try on, and then I would pick the one I want, send it back, um, and then they would fit it with my prescription glasses. So that's an idea of what disruption has done, right? It's taking a process that used to be many stages and just collapse it to save time and to save money. OK, the other other point here is sustainability. Investors like to see that um, when you go online right now and you read about sustainability, you hear a lot of words like eco-friendliness, you know, um, environmental consciousness, Well, that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is, can your business sustain itself, right? Have you, can you create an ecosystem or an environment that can sustain, right, um, the hiring of employees, the paying of your overhead costs? Can you exist on your own? There are a lot of businesses in Nigeria today that exist by the grace of their investors, right? The investors are literally keep putting money into the company and hope that something will come out of it, right? So those are not sustainable businesses. So as an investor, I want to see that this business is sustainable and it will keep working for itself as time goes on. Um, The last point here is the culture of innovation. So we can go to the next slide. Um, Before I talk about this culture of innovation, I want to talk a little bit about the car Edge because we sort of embody, this notion of uh, culture of innovation. So here's the cut edge. From innovation to valuation, a value chain is every step in the process of your business creation. What does that mean? From the point where from the point where you're thinking of your idea to the point where you're sitting in front of investors, you know, um, with your valuation in hand, trying to negotiate for a price they're gonna buy your company at, right? We we're sitting at the table with you from the beginning to the end. But now the question is um, the question is how do we do that, right? How do we start working with you from the point of the idea? Right? and then go all the way down to the point of execution. Next slide. Right. So, back to that concept I was telling you about um, a culture of innovation. Now, one of the, uh, back when I was uh, working uh, nine to five, uh, the CEO of the company I worked for raised a question. He said, okay, now that we've arrived at our vision, what next? what's the purpose of our organization why do we come here every day we've already accomplished the initial vision that was set by the board what next and the answer to that question was you know instituting a culture of innovation within his organization right and what does that mean an organization that is constantly thinking of new products you know new reengineering their processes and is constantly Um, um, changing with the times. Now, remember I said one of the things that the investors um, look for um, on that list, the last one was a culture of innovation. So what we went ahead and did, what I went to do for this company is I said, okay, what if I was gonna design a standardized process for innovation within the organization? How do we get from where we are now to where we need to be? Right, so to answer that question, we came up with the Innovation Pipeline. And basically what the Innovation Pipeline is, is a schematic for institutionalizing innovation within your organization. We actually work through every step of coming up with an idea, right, through the step um, to um, execution. Um, we'll start with a new idea. When you come with a new idea, uh, we've broken it down into three steps. Right. Uh, the first step is where we're just brainstorming, we're free thinking, right? And this step, you're not gonna have, you know, there's some people who can never say something good about something, right? How many of us know people like that? Hmm? They always sort of, especially if you're an innovator, you know what I'm talking about. You are so excited about your idea, You want just say one sentence, and bam, your excitement is gone. Right, those people don't exist at this point. Right, at this point, we're looking for dreamers. Right, we're looking for people that like fantasy. Right, that's what we want when we're uh, uh, answering that uh, question in the brainstorming session. So, um, I'm just going to skip a lot of what I put here because we don't have much time. the question you're trying to answer in your brainstorming session is a very simple one. How can we save time? How can we save money? Right? One of the methods we developed for answering that question is the points and spaces method. What's the points and spaces method? This is a very simple method you can do right now, you can do at home. Um, when you're thinking of your business, you have to think of your value chain, right? And what you're going to do with this exercise is think of every point where you're interacting with your end user. right? From the moment they have to think about your solution right, to the moment they go to actually using it and to the moment they're done using it. Those are points right, in your value chain. right? Now, what we're gonna do once we've established those points is to go and look at the spaces between those points and ask ourselves, how can I create value? Meaning, how can I save my end user time, or how can I save them money, right? And what you will find out is that you'll be either creating new points on your value chain, right, or innovating and thinking of ways that will help you save time or money for your end users. So that's one of the exercises, Toby, we can skip. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. So remember that person I was talking about, the person that can never say anything good mm, about your business, about your idea. The idea killers. mm, This is where they come in. You need them, right? Mm, You need them. Five minutes? Okay. So I have five minutes. Um, This is where you start to talk about risk, right? And like Toby talked about, we're trying to minimize risk as much risk as possible for the investor. Otherwise what? The valuation will be bad, right? So even at the idea stage, we're still thinking of solving that problem. All our risks, right? Um, and we refer back to one of his methods, the uh, method, where he was talking about risk. Uh, the other thing I'll talk about here The idea of living close to the ground. What does it mean to live close to the ground? Hmm? A lot of times now, we, everybody has an idea for an app that they're going to do. Yeah, I know, an app, a website, something, blah, blah. But. In order for you to have a strong business model, your idea must touch the ground at some point, right? So instead of sitting in your incubator or your hub, make a list of possible suppliers, make a list of your value chain, make a list of your end user, right? Do one of each, right? Like we put there, right? And then actually go out and have a conversation. Talk to them figure out what it is they really, truly want. And you may find out that that dreamy idea you had at the beginning is not exactly the thing that you're going to build, right? Is that clear? Okay, Uh, next. let go back, sorry. Right, so um, one of, we also, as Deca Edge, doing what we do, we, We believe in this culture of creativity, culture of innovation, right? And so we've built the innovation pipeline into our business. So we're constantly thinking of new products. As we did this, one of the products we thought about for our business model was a product called um, Loop Africa. And what that does is that it links your business up with consultants, people that know You know different aspects of the things that you need to build your business right and we create a marketplace where both of you can interact right so that's still in beta mode we're still testing it but it's up online you can check it out loopafrica.com and you can sign up if you like um so like i said we go from innovation all the way to valuation. And in between, we expect that, two minutes, okay. And in between, we expect that you will go do the work, you will go find your consultants, you will get help, right, and that's why we created um, loopafrica.com. Toby, next. Uh, okay, financial feasibility. Um, quick question, profits or cash flow? Which one is better? Quick answer, cash flow, cash flow. Okay, they already know. let's move on. <laughs> okay, so down here to projects. Again, you know, building a business is about you doing the work, you getting involved, right? So that's why we created, again, GroupAfrica.com. We want you to talk to people, hire the people you need, do the work, start being a CEO. And that's how you do it, by taking control of your business, okay? So don't expect to sit down and, you know, um, expect help to come to you. You have to go and grab your business by the horns. Next. Okay. Uh, uh, so a lot of times you receive um, friends, family, and fools money, right? So just help you, you know, get the thing going. And what you're going to use that money for? Am I time up? Wow. Two more minutes. Two. Oh, two questions, okay. Um, yes, yeah.
0: Um, my first question is based on the DCF. I, I recognize the formula that you put, but it didn't specify how many years. In your, your experience, do you use a three-year projection or a five-year projection for that value as one? And the um, second question I wanted to ask was based on team. And um, what they call it doing, and part of the way we also connect with the um, Loop Africa. Like, I, I have a serious problem with what I'm doing because I'm not in software, I'm in hardware. Um, I-
1: Thank you for joining us. Stay tuned to our next episode. Subscribe to us at Startup Lagos on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. Visit us at www.startuplagos.co. Audience.